Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to Inside the Tunnel, brought to you by VT Scoop 24-7 Sports. My name is Andrew Alex. Doug Bowman, the taste this. Here with me today. What's going on, boys? Not not a whole lot. Just uh, enjoying the Braves winning their fifth straight NL East title over the New York Mets. Really going to go right there. Just right right the to the heart of it. Sorry. Right to the heart of it. <laughs> Not, look, no response. Look, nothing. The Dodgers <laughs> lost the division by one game to the Giants last year. The Dodgers ended up going farther than the Giants in the playoffs. Just saying. Similar uh, trajectory of a season, but uh, not totally excited to be uh, forced to play the Padres <laughs> in the three-game set here, but it's the it's, best Mets regular season of my lifetime, so I'm not going to complain too much. It's sort of excited. Uh, it's a bummer that I really felt like this was exactly how it was going to happen all year. And, <laughs> and then it happened. <laughs> came down to the last series of the season. Mets just needed to win one game. And they were in pretty good shape, and they got swept. That's that. A disappointing weekend of sports results for me in that regard. That and the Virginia Tech game. Mate, did you enjoy it? Did you have fun watching the Virginia Tech game? <laughs> <laughs> Enjoyment. I don't know about that word. Um, At least you I mean, that. <laughs> On the bright side, <laughs> on the bright side, I mean, it was a tough game to watch. Um, you know, I, I don't. I think I was expecting a, a much closer game, and I understand that I used the f word on last week's podcast, meaning fraudulent. Oops. Uh, which to any UNC fan that's like still listening to this podcast, waiting for like the gotcha, like, oh, we proved Matei wrong. Like, you got it. I'm sorry. No North Carolina fans listen to this They probably gave up. They're like, I can't believe I previewed Virginia Tech and we won by 31 points. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they were a bit better than I thought they would be. I thought with the inferior competition that they played and, you know, kind of um, getting slapped around by you, uh, by Notre Dame, I thought there was a chance for Virginia Tech, and I was flat out wrong. Um, obviously, we all thought that there was going to be you know, weather that would impact the game and that didn't turn out to be the case. And I think all of us said if there was, you know, if it was light rain or whatever, um, UNC was winning this game uh, by at least two touchdowns. And um, I think the 31 points is definitely surprising. I think to 
only see Virginia Tech score 10 points. I think, like, I think I said last week, there's no excuse not to score 20 points. And the offense looked horrific again. Um, I'm sure we'll get into it. There were a few bright spots. Daquan Wright at the top of the list there for the offense. Johnny Jordan seemed to be a bit better in run blocking, but overall, like, you can't sugarcoat it. Just another disastrous performance. And then the UNC offense kind of did what they set out to do. Um, It wasn't really competitive at all. And, you know, ultimately, this is kind of like the patience of the fan base uh, is really waning now. It's like, what are we expecting to see for the last seven games of the season? Well, let me tell the fan base something. Your patience is about to be tested, at least for (laughs) uh, the month of October. We don't know anything, but from where we were standing heading into the month of October, uh, UNC seemed to just be the tip of the iceberg. These opponents, uh, on paper, get progressively more challenging. You can make an argument that Miami's not going to be more challenging than UNC or Pitt. But nonetheless, this is the situation that we're in. But you know, So you go back, right, a few weeks, and the narrative. We knew Virginia Tech wasn't a world beater at that point. But following that Boston College game, high energy, great environment, first home game for Brent Pry, a game where uh, the Hokies on paper seemed like they had a pretty good chance to lose. I picked them to lose that one. They won by playing stellar defense and the offense doing just enough. With the defensive statistics and the performance over the course of the first three weeks, you start to feel like that could be a roadmap because that's a roadmap that in down years in the past, Virginia Tech was able to use with some pretty bad offenses and they were still a team that could win 9-10 games. I don't think anyone expected this team to win 9-10 games, but you're like, okay, we can get some wins out of this. With that being said, the last two games, big rivalry games where you had teams with very polar opposites of Virginia Tech. High-scoring offenses, abysmal defenses, and the offense regresses. The defense, like we talked about last week, clearly has talked itself out of the running of being a top 25 defense. And now, you know, if this team can end the season top 40, I would say that would be a surprise uh, at this point. So I want to talk about their performance first because I feel like talking about the offense is kind of beating a dead horse at this point. I'm sure we'll get to it. Drake Mang, who Doug, you correctly said, is going to be a professional football player one day. Uh, he, he looked like one on Saturday and just absolutely had his way uh, with Virginia Tech. Dorian Strong out with no clear timeline for a return. I think we'd all agree when we'd say we'd be surprised to see him on the field anytime soon for the Hokies. And Breon Murray and Armani Chapman just getting burned up and down the field. Leary, Slovis, whoever they start at Miami, probably it's going to be okay. Van Dyke was okay last year. Uh, the kid Garcia had a good showing when they brought him in against Middle Tennessee. These are talented quarterbacks. Maybe not Drake May, but nonetheless. Is this something as a unit for these defensive backs that Virginia Tech fans need to start being seriously worried about? I think so with strong out. I I think a lot of that North Carolina game can be uh, directly attributed to 
the recruiting ses- success of North Carolina over the last three or four years compared to Virginia Tech. Um, I actually thought, who was doing the game on ACC Network? Tim Hasselbeck? Is that the Hasselbeck that does the ACC Network games? It's a lot of tech games. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was he he was talking during the game that you know you look at Virginia Tech's team and they have everyone on Virginia Tech's team plays at the same speed, and he, and he wasn't talking about uh you know literally forty times, but he's just talking about like there's no top end talent. The the ceiling is low in terms of Virginia Tech. There's no Josh Downs level type wide receiver. Um, Antoine Green like North Carolina's got a lot of talent at receiver. At running back because they've recruited well enough. Virginia Tech has not recruited well enough, and you saw that um, come to fruition. And you see that with the secondary where Strong goes out. Armani Chapman, probably not a number one ACC corner, you know, probably a number two. And then Breon Murray's definitely not. Um, we know that about him at this point of his career. And, and then you're bringing in a couple of true freshmen after that. So uh, Tech doesn't have the top end talent to compete with a team as talented as North Carolina. And and then we, you know, we talked about it with the offensive line and a couple other spots, like an injury to your best player at that position, it causes a big drop off in production and play. And that's what we saw with strong out. It reminded, it reminded me of the 2018 defensive performances where it's just, you know, you don't, they don't have any chance. They don't, they they were not making plays. They weren't even close to making plays and slowing down the North Carolina offense. So I think everyone's reaction after that Boston College game was like that was a throwback defensive performance to to like the good Bud Foster days. That that North Carolina performance was a, a throwback to the to the bad Bud Foster days, that twenty eighteen defense. Um that was just horrific. Um and that's kind of what we saw it's all there because, you know, Tech just doesn't have the talent level to compete for, you know, four quarters. And they certainly don't have the talent level to compete when they've got a, when the defense has to hold the opposing team under 20, 17, like 10 is how much they've scored over the last two weeks. But like, they've got to play absolutely lights out football to even have a chance to win. And you know, I don't think this defense is that um, at this point. <laughs> It's like, yeah, if you held them to 17, we could beat them over uh, eight quarters. But nonetheless, you mentioned bringing in the true freshman, Mansour Delaney, uh, getting some serious playing time there. And that might have just been probably kind of rolling the dice game uh, to some degree over what, what was happening was not working. But, Tay, do you support this as a long term proposition, assuming the absence of Dorian Strong? Are you comfortable? with burning that red shirt and giving him that real in-game experience, you know, as the season goes on. Yeah, the more I think about it, I, I know we talked, like, I'll relate this to what Doug was saying about the offensive line woes against Wofford. It was at that point, it felt like the staff had the luxury of redshirting a lot of these guys, maybe saving that talent for future years. And against UNC, and and seeing them down by so much, it, it looked like they they lost that luxury. Like they, at, at this point, it's no longer, you know, it would be great to get to six wins. It would be great to make a bowl game, but you have to build upon the future. After the season, you're going to have tough conversations. You're probably looking at the transfer portal for nearly every position on this team. 
Um, and of course, your eyes will be on recruiting and, and, you know, stockpiling some talent. So at this point, it's not about, you know, saving your talented guys, um, you know, like a Daquan Wright, like a Mansoor Delane, uh, Keyshawn Burgos. Like you, at this point, it's almost better to try to develop them in a game, have them come back at practice, look at real game film see what you can correct and kind of build them up because, you know, at this point there's nothing to lose almost like you. And, and, you know, to your point, like I'm looking at some of the PFF grades for, for the defense and granted, you know, it was late in the game and against maybe some reserves on the UNC offense, especially in that fourth quarter. But, you know, a lot of these grades like Mansour Delane uh, was number four. Keyshawn Burgos, number three, out of all defenders on Virginia Tech, Cam Johnson at number eight, like, you know, and Cam Johnson was another guy that when he committed a four-star guy, everyone was saying this is going to be the next great defensive back at Virginia Tech. So, um, yes, it would be great to have them next year, you know, after a year of of, of learning what it takes to compete at the collegiate level, um, you know, have four years to compete. But at this point, you don't really have that luxury. And I think it's best to try to, you know, put a lot of these guys on the field. Um, you know, maybe they'll help you steal a couple games here and there. Um, and at this point, you need more depth. Like, we're looking at Breon Murray and Armani Chapman, and it doesn't seem like they're getting the job done. So, you know, push them, get the young guys excited, hungry for practice every day. Um, at this point, I think it's a win to uh, burn some of those red shirts. Doug, as an overall expectation, based on what we've seen over the last two weeks, you know, what can be that baseline for what we look at this defense to do going forward? It's been a world of extremes, right? Extremely high expectations and it's hard to say extremely disappointing results because I don't think they played that badly against West Virginia. I think they could have played. You know, in theory, they could have played worse against North Carolina. Other teams have, but we can no longer rely on this defense to be the anchor as we look ahead, you know, not just in the month of October, but even into the month of November where the competition, uh, at least on paper, slips a little bit. As we transition from talking about the defense to the offense here, is the offense going to have to step it up in a serious way? Is this a team that can't be expected to hold teams under 25 points under 20 points i i think they ha- you know like the tech is going to score more than 10 points at some point in the game like there's going to be a game or two that that like they surprise you that they they execute well um you know i was just looking at so pittsburgh's um pittsburgh's probably the best offense actually if you're just looking at yards per play um, sorry, is that is that coming through there? <laughs> um, they're, they're you know they're sixty second in the country. Miami, NC State, for whatever reason, are way down the list on yards per play. So that's the only metric you're looking at. Like, Tech's got a sh- a decent like a I don't want to say a decent <laughs> shot, but they got a shot. Um, to, to at least compete in, in those games against those offenses defensively. So that puts the onus on the offense to to figure anything out. Um, you know, I think, I think Grant Wells has got to play much, much better. Um, missing a couple open guys, you know, I thought it was interesting. Brent Pry said this week, he was talking that, uh, 
90% of what Brantwell does is exactly what they want him to do. Um, so that leaves 10% where he's missing something. Um, so you look at that 60 to 70 plays in a game, so he's missing six or seven plays a game. Whether that's a turnover, like against North Carolina, where he set up a free, a, a, an easy touchdown, or um, whether that's a wide open touchdown, that's 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 what I'm taking. That those are those plays that he's missing. So, so Grant Wells, by you know, it sounds pretty good. Ninety percent is being executed, but you know, if he's missing two or three, would be touchdowns if he threw it to the right guy. Um, that's a big problem because you're you know you're leaving. 21 points on the board for an offense that struggles to get even close to that. So he's got to play much better. I do not think Jason Brown makes any sense for Virginia Tech from where they are as a program. He has 0% chance of being the long-term quarterback. No matter where you are on Grant Wells, he's still got a, he's still got a better chance than Jason Brown to, to, to be the quarterback after this year. So, and, and then I think Devin Farrell and Taj Bullock are probably your number three and four quarterbacks for a reason. I could see them getting four games of some kind of action, but I don't think I don't think they're anywhere near ready to to be on the field. So, so it's Wells the rest of the way, and um, you know if he can start to make some of those throws that he's missing, where where um, where where there's clear opportunities to throw touchdowns, um, maybe Virginia Tech's offense gets better, gets a gets a little better to compete and win like a twenty four to twenty game. You know, 24 points is not great by any stretch, but you know, a decent defense against a against a you know average opposing offense like you know, Matei talked about. Tech's best chance to win here in October is probably the home game against Miami. Um, they're struggling offensively. Tyler Van Dyke has not lived up to expectations, so that's that's a potential. I don't know where it's going to come from until the offensive line gets better. Until and until Wells hits the ten percent of plays that he's leaving on the field, which which I have to assume are are big time chunk plays. Right now, today, what do you believe to be more likely? Virginia Tech wins one of the next three games, or they go over three. Uh, that's a really good question. Um, <laughs> I, I think I think Virginia Tech can steal one of them. Probably that Miami game. Um, I, you know, they lost, they lost at home, but to the Middle Tennessee State Blue Raiders by multiple touchdowns. Like I said, Van Dyke's not lived up to the expectations that everyone thought he was going to reach um, heading into this season. I think they're in. A surprisingly similar boat to Virginia Tech in terms of a year one coach trying to trying to change the culture, trying to change the schemes and all that stuff that goes into it. Um, you know, brand new coaching staff across the board, and it hasn't gone great yet. Um, I think they play Carolina this week, so we'll see what happens there. Uh, but I think that's the one, and and you know, a home game. I think that's probably the best situation for Virginia Tech's offense right now is 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 executing on a home field. I yeah, I I think 0 and 3. I mean, it's it's really tough to pick Virginia Tech in any of these games right now. 
Obviously, it's either going to be Pitt or Miami. I'm very <laughs> like that's going to be a tough game to watch against NC State. I'm very worried about that as of now. Um, obviously, I think, you know, something has to happen with the offensive line and you get Malachi Thomas back and maybe you're talking about a couple more points. But other than that, there's so many problems right now. Um, I don't want to steal your thunder, pessimist Andrew, but uh, yeah, I'm 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 looking at 0-3 right now. What do you got, pessimistic Andrew? I mean, I also think there's only three games. You can't say 0 and 4. I also think 0 and 3 is probably the more likely scenario. And I agree. Like, Miami seems to be the most vulnerable opponent based on. It ain't happening at Pitt. And it's not happening at Pitt, unfortunately. Not happening. And we'll we'll jump into that in a second. (laughs) My my plans to travel to North Carolina State for the game are. uh, They're not happening. They're up in the air. (laughs) I will not be attending said said football game for my own mental health, which is already in shambles. Uh, <laughs> There's a pessimistic injury right there. <laughs> but, I mean, look, <laughs> despite what happened against North Carolina, North Carolina is going to score a lot of points. If this offense can turn it up, like, two oh, notches, <laughs> then maybe, like, then maybe, here's what I'll say. The way that Virginia Tech's offense has played over the course of the last two games, they're not beating anybody. They are not going to beat anybody playing like that. And that's reality. Not going to beat Georgia Tech playing like that or Duke or Liberty or Virginia. Maybe Virginia. (laughs) uh, Maybe. (laughs) Maybe Virginia. You you still run the risk of losing like 13 to 10 in that one. This offense, and here's the transition, seemingly has regressed. And, you know, I write in my preview that Matei either, by, by the time people listen to this, it'll be posted. So, what do you want me to say, right? If you can't throw the ball against North Carolina's defense who let Florida A&M and Georgia State throw on them, what makes you think you're going to throw against Pitt, who has some of the top-ranked corners in the ACC? You can't run the ball against Wofford and Boston College. What makes you think you're going to be able to run the ball against Pitt or Miami or North Carolina State? You all have talent in that front seven. The performances from these last two weeks just don't translate to victory at all. The good news is I feel like it's such a low bar that they have to improve. <laughs> but two weeks in a row, we're taking steps backwards. And you have the embarrassment of... Mac Brown just playing Madden like a seven-year-old on rookie going for it on fourth and seven in the middle of the field because he doesn't feel threatened. What's the worst thing that happens if he turns it over? I thought you that was... Tech, they, they drive the ball 20 yards and then put it back to you and then Drake Bacon get it back in one play? Yeah, I mean, that was the obvious move for Mac Brown to do that, diving into that. I was uh, disappointed questioning what... Brent Pry's decision making was on on fourth downs and fourth and shorts and you know that those kind of scenarios like playing field position ball against North Carolina's offense with Virginia Tech's offense is not gonna was never gonna work. Wise man once said, "You got to risk it for the biscuit." You got to risk it for the biscuit. That that is absolutely true. Um, but you got to extract like 
it's a there's only a limited number of possessions and just you know giving yours away back to Carolina who has a decisively better offense than you is is um I I I question that aspect of the of the game plan. I thought that I thought they were trying to. I, it seemed like they thought they were going to come in and play a seventeen thirteen game, which, which I think it's clear. I think it was readily obvious that that was never going to happen. Yeah, which is why, uh, you know, I was negative coming into the game. So I'm sorry if I offended anyone, but. Nobody's offended anymore. They're past that after the West Virginia game. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just messing around. But, I mean, it's almost like Mac Brown learned from the mistakes of the past, right? Like, he saw how Virginia Tech, given the offense that Virginia Tech had last year, was able to beat them at home at Lane Stadium by really controlling time of possession, like drawing stuff out, which, to be fair, I don't think Virginia Tech's offense this year is capable of. But Mac Brown was just... He gave no bleeps, <laughs> if you will. We're going to play the style of football that best suits our skill set and is most likely to harm yours. Yeah, and when you're what, when you're clearly they they, better, they're clearly better on you know North Carolina's offense versus Virginia Tech's defense, and then they have absolutely no concern about Texas offense's ability to make them pay so like that was the like that aggressiveness was not surprising in the least yeah and for a young team with the new coach it's a it's a it's a wise move to you know put the foot on the throat early because as fans we felt it i'm sure anyone in keenan stadium all 15 people felt it the game was nice. over. It was over so early. <laughs> and it was over when they completed their fourth down to Josh Downs. The heave that Tamari yeah. Connor was stumbling on. Was, I mean, Virginia's defense. That was when it was like, all right. <laughs> first through third down through a half of play, Virginia Tech's defense was showing signs of life. And you know, the linebacking core, at least against the run, you know, there were a lot of Stops at the line of scrimmage, behind the line of scrimmage. Dax Hollyfield actually grades out like third highest grade of his career. But it ain't over till it's over. They'll get you when they get you. And three for three on fourth down for North Carolina allowed them to uh, assert their will early, both on the scoreboard and mental, emotional standpoint. Dagger. Back to this game management thing that I'm taking issue with. Into the first half. Third to thirty goal from the two or three yard line, and they call timeout to run a play with hand of the game. Um, I know there's an argument that well UNC could have a penalty and give you more more plays, but there's only two plays maximum in all likelihood. There, Tech should have ran the clock down and ran two plays, run it down to fourteen seconds, and you can get two plays off pretty easily from the two yard line. And then they come out in the second half, down 24-10, they get the ball. The your one chance to get back into the game is that first drive of the half. And they punt it away because they didn't do anything with it. Um, you know, I thought I, I thought the, the end of the first half and the beginning of the second half has been a real problem for uh, for J-Tech this season. And I think some of it is because of game management coaching decisions. And I suppose it's to be expected uh, from a – Brand new coaching staff, first time head coach, first time offensive coordinator, first time defensive coordinator. But 
it's just one of those areas where you hope to start seeing improvements soon. And this is kind of why I'm saying brace yourself. Like this isn't me being negative, Andrew. It's just like it's gonna get worse before it gets better. But if Virginia Tech can learn some lessons, if there could be some signs of hope over the course of the next three weeks, you know, a win would be fantastic in that department. But you know, overall it's about improvement. And you can get to those final four games of the season, that month of November, where it's clear that not only the team, you know, establishes an identity, but the coaching staff like know who knows who they are as a team, knows what we got, and for the final few weeks can fire at all cylinders, pick up a couple of wins. Even if you end up at five wins, it's not the end of the world. That momentum will go a long way. But where Virginia Tech was on the 1st of October is not a team that's in position to thrive in November. So whether losses will pile up over the course of this month, it could be inevitable, it could be not. I mean, who knows? Probably inevitable. But this is a month where we're going to need to see those little incremental improvements to get you to the point where you can succeed against the programs who are going to put you in a position where you can't. Yeah, that's the scenario we talked about when the schedule came out, was October's going to be really tough, and there's a chance that, um, you know, a, a, a given the schedule, I, I know Duke is, you know, one of the top programs in all college football all of a sudden. Um, but, it's true. Well, it's a fact. Um, but you know, you know, it's a winnable schedule down the stretch. So if they can make progress, any kind of progress, um, you know, I, I wrote in my game preview this week, like, wh- where's the improvement, and, and is it going to be after two blowouts? If Tech plays Pitt tightly, um, if they if they play NC State tighter than expected, even Miami, if it's if it's a tight game, like that's improvement and you can see the improvement happening, you know, and then they go three and one and, and, um, three and one in November. Like that's, that's the exact scenario that was obvious. Like it's going to be very interesting at the beginning, but you hope that the coaching is good enough to get the team playing much better. The, the, the team is going to be completely different in November than it is at the end of September or here in early October. So that's the number one thing to look at. Haven't seen it out of the offensive line. Um, wide receivers not seeing it. Running backs are about the same. Defenses, you know, we've talked about it being a pretty, you know, decent standard, not a world beater defense. Um, so I think over the next, definitely in October, you're looking for kind of those young individual players getting their first extended action to to grow up quickly. Um, so maybe you can win some games in November and, and feel much better about where the program is going into next year. Yeah, and it's going to matter a lot for the program because uh, perception is reality. And as high as Virginia Tech fans were on Brent Pry coming into the year, the national perception of Virginia Tech will take a hit if this team goes three and nine. 
It's just reality. I wish we had Evan on here, but like the the difference in um uh confidence and excitement around the program from that Boston College game and the recruits on campus and um Tech's first massive recruiting weekend for Brent Pry um by all accounts went extremely extremely well and the difference now uh that it seems very likely will be a much different mood and momentum kind of setup for that Miami game which is the next big recruiting weekend like you know Brent Pry has got 2023 class is basically wrapped up Brent Pry's got to keep the momentum going for 2024 if he wants to be the head coach much longer than that. Um, and it's 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 a it's it's a worry. It's a concern that like you know a three and nine season out of the gate, a four and eight season out of the gate is going to tank the chances of that 2024 class being anything being what Virginia Tech needs it to be to to move forward. It's just an interesting. Like and and then I think that again and then the game after that is Georgia Tech, which is, you know, probably after another loss to NC State. It's um, you know, there's one good recruiting weekend coming for Virginia Tech. That's a it's a problem. Yeah, and you sound negative, but I mean you're not wrong. pessimistic, Doug. Welcome <laughs> to the show. <laughs> I mean it's true. I mean like if Brett. If Brent Pry goes four and eight this year, and then next year is six and six, like he's on the hot seat in year three, another six and six year, another five and seven year, like people are going to be off the off the train, especially if there's no talent coming in, there's no noticeable improvement on the recruiting trail. Um, hopefully yeah. that doesn't happen. That would be a long three years, uh, but it's possible. It's unfortunate for Brent Pry because the cupboard was uh, left pretty bare for him. You could see that by talent on this roster. And Virginia Tech fans are almost spoiled in a way because we've gone six and six, five and six, much higher levels of talent than is on this team. Yeah. Those were seven, eight, nine win teams going five, six wins due to negligence on the coaching side. But this is a true four or five win roster probably going burdened with the fact that (laughs) they can't do worse than the predecessor (laughs) the cupboard might be i'm not ready to go there yet i mean it's year one it's five games but the cupboard might have been too bare for 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 brent pry to quickly turn this thing around in the time that he probably needs to be he's gonna have to have to he's gonna have to do some um excellent work in the transfer portal to kind of bridge the gap yeah, and that certainly remains to be seen. I mean, luckily the transfer portal era uh, is the era where that can be done. But, I mean, we saw it happen with Jeff Collins, who I, I don't believe is the most competent man on earth, and I don't think he was fit for the job. But he was tasked with a similar, if not more difficult, rebuild than Brent Pry was. And a couple of years in, granted, they showed literally no progress at all whatsoever. He's done. He's toast. He's out. And he recruited at a decently high level. Jeff Sims was a big recruit. Shamir Gibbs just got screwed by the transfer portal being becoming a thing. 
So Alabama swiped him away pretty quickly, but like, I mean, he recruited at a higher level than what Virginia Tech recruited at at the tail end of the Justin Fuente era and what the the first Brent Pry class looks like. So uh, they did have farther to go because of the triple option that that transition, but. Yeah. Weren't they also the team that was like lifting weights before games? Like they just <laughs> <I don't know>. <laughs> they, <laughs> was that them? <laughs> yeah, they went out to like they would put all their players out on the field in like forty degree weather, uh, just lifting like bringing out all the equipment from the weight room and lifting pregame, and then getting blown out like forty nine to thirteen. I googled, I googled Georgia Tech lift and it filled in the rest <laughs> lifting weights before game confirmed. <laughs> there's a, there's a video from ESPN that says Georgia Tech's pregame warm up is different. Okay, so. Maybe the Jeff Collins comparison isn't that great. Sorry, but he's out of a job. He and Justin Fuente can play golf together next weekend. Him and Paul Christ. And Scott Frost. What a foursome. <laughs> a couple, of, a couple of former college quarterbacks there. Probably Justin and Scott Frost are around the same age, different talent levels at the time. But I digress and transition to a question about the quarterback of Virginia Tech. A lot of people calling for Jason Brown on Saturday. North Carolina. And I kind of agreed at the time because my thought process was like, Tech's down by so much. Like, if Grant Wells really is better, like, he's going to get hurt. Clearly, this offense isn't primed to will themselves back into this game. So, might as well throw Brown out there. In terms of the future here, I've changed my tone because going into the season, the thought process of some, if not many, was that Grant Wells could be the quarterback of Virginia Tech for the next three years. And five games into this thing, I don't think a lot of people are too confident in that anymore. Albeit, it's only five games into this thing, and he's still a very young guy. Use the month of October. Very tough competition to really make an evaluation on Grant Wells. And if he truly sucks, which I don't think he sucks right now, Think he could play better? <laughs> no, I mean, like a lot of people are out here like wanting to crucify the man. I don't think he's terrible, terrible, terrible. Think yeah. he could be playing better, but ultimately, if he entirely lays an egg in the month of October, and you go into those games against Georgia Tech, Duke, Liberty, and the University of Virginia, feeling like a guy like Jason Brown gives you a better chance to win. Well, then at that point, if you've already made your eval on Wells, you know, the theory of why waste time on Brown because he's not the future and Wells is, I mean, that's out the window. Because let's be honest, I don't see Wells playing at a level this season where Virginia Tech is not seriously exploring their options in the transfer portal, you know, when that time comes around. So in the more winnable games, Play the guy that you feel like gives you the best chance to win. But right now, when you're in the gauntlet, similar to the entire roster, really feel out where your team is at and in-game action, how these guys look. And I think Grant Wells is probably the most important evaluation you can make. There. Yeah, I think that's, you know, I think you should be the quarterback's coach at Virginia Tech. I think that's an excellent plan. Oh, thank you. Um, but it, it makes a lot of sense. Like, if you're you get an evaluation on Grant Wells over the next three weeks that after, what, eight games of 
Power 5 football in two seasons at the G5 level developing. Um, you know, three seasons in as a college football quarterback, he's not a if you've if you've decided he's not the high ceiling player that you need at the position and isn't giving you the best chance to win, you you're ready to, for lack of a better term, move on. Um, you know, maybe you do go to Jason Brown to try and go three and one in November and generate some momentum. I don't think they should do it now, but I agree with you that eventually later, like if Jason Brown's the better quarterback on the roster by that point, and like he can bring along Christian Moss and Dwan Lofton and um, Bryce Duke and Daquan Wright, like that's valuable still. Generate a little bit of excitement and momentum with the guys around the quarterback position. I think that would probably be worth it, but I don't know. We'll see what happens if, you know, there's also the thing where like if Grant Wells plays mediocre against this in this stretch against pretty good competition you know you're going to give him four games against weaker competition then to to kind of show what he's learned from that i don't know um i definitely think it's an interesting quarterback picture to, to watch here over the next seven games um it was obvious they they should have they needed to go to someone else down 30 at north carolina like there wasn't anything more to learn from that game. So you're fine there. But what's going to happen if it's closer or if he plays better? <laughs> like, There's so many variables here down the last seven games. Maybe once there's four games left, you start to get Devin Farrell involved a little bit. Um, you know, I think all cards have to be on the table because by the end of the season, Virginia Tech needs to know what they're going to do in the transfer portal. And I think it needs to be very, very obvious. Tech cannot go into the, the, the transfer portal market and say you're competing. You're going to be competing with Grant Wells. They need to go in saying the starting job's wide open. Come be our starting quarterback and see if they can, you know, connect with a top level transfer quarterback versus another another Grant Wells type transfer. Yeah, and I, I think for this season at least it's it's tough to to look anywhere else until you know the running the run game gets better it's it's been a tough evaluation for Grant Wells like i would say he definitively cost his team the first game and ever since then the jury's still out i think you know it's been uninspiring at times but it's like what can the man do um and and virginia tech has been making changes like we saw daquan Wright. he looked legitimate he did not look like a freshman on the field um i even wrote it in uh the mvp piece that we did on monday that you know there were several other times that if you know the play design if grant wells was looking to the side of the field that Wright was on he could have had a bigger day um and he was only on the field for 21 snaps so you start to work in those pieces you start to work in a malachi thomas who's going to be here for a couple years um, that you want to, you know, hopefully establish as the number one guy, you know, maybe you get the offensive line to figure a couple things out or, you know, it, it's hard for them to perform much worse than where they are right now. Um, taking any steps forward at this point, uh, you're talking about progress uh, with adding, you know, a very talented back back into the mix. So I think there are ways to help out Wells, at least in the interim. Um, and then, you know, Hopefully, you know, you're talking about one or two of those big plays down the field to Caleb Smith, um, you know, Dwayne Lofton 
catching a couple more passes, getting more involved, um, all of a sudden, maybe you have a better sense for what Grant Wells can do. Um, we certainly know he has the arm talent to do it. It's just he hasn't put it together just yet. Um, and, you know, he's he's what you got, and you're going to try to develop him as much as possible. But, you know, as good as Grant Wells will be for this final stretch, um, I think the staff is aware enough that you never know who's going to enter the transfer portal. Uh, you never know what top name you can go after, and um, that can make all the difference in Blacksburg. Yeah, and I'm not here to unfairly blame Grant Wells for the results on the field because I think that I think a little bit of it is a good a good bit of it is he's missing miss, miss, missing plays that are points about ten um, percent or more than ten percent. Well, I'll trust Brent Pry that it's ten percent. It's he's leaving points on the board. That's that's not the offensive line's fault because the guy's open. It's not the running back. It's not the running game's fault because the guy's open. So on Grant Wells is three years into be starting being a starting quarterback at college football level and he's missing that throw. That's it's a problem. Yeah. I mean there's two different questions, right? One, is he the guy for the future? And two, is he the guy that gives you the best chance to win right now? Right now, today, I don't think either of those questions are definitively answered. I think that if it's a toss up on question number two. You leave him in to try to get the answer to question number one. But eventually, uh, given how close it might seem, and given that Jason Brown has proven himself capable in the past of winning some seemingly meaningless Power 5 football games as the quarterback, like... <laughs> That's his thing. Yeah. He's good at it. It could be his niche. <laughs> uh, any other thoughts, you know, reflecting on... The past week before we move on to having Doug tell us all about Pitt. Silence. It's gold. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. So, Doug, tell us about Pitt. Well-rounded football team, from what I understand, huh? Pretty decent. Um, not as, like, uh, uh, lopsided as the last two games. West Virginia and North Carolina, terrible on defense. Really good on offense. Um, it's decent on offense. Not as good as Carolina. Not as good as West Virginia, I'd say. Um, and pretty good on defense you know, light years, light years ahead of North Carolina, um, there, uh, extremely experienced on the, at the line of scrimmage, both on the offensive and defensive lines. I think that's probably where this game gets decided and why Pittsburgh probably wins by multiple touchdowns is they're just going to control 
you know, I think they start four seniors and a junior on the offensive line and uh, a similar, mostly seniors and a junior or two on the defensive line. Um, you know, it's just like a, a veteran experienced team, even losing Jordan Addison and Kenny Pickett. Um, they brought in Keaton Slovis, who's um, pretty good. He's not Drake May level. He's probably JT Daniels around there kind of level. Uh, a, a good running game. Israel Abanakanda is like, I think he's one of the most underrated tailbacks in the country um, for what he can do. They He is banged up, might not play. I think there's, you know, if you're looking for a glimmer of hope, maybe that's it. They coming off a inexplicable loss to Georgia Tech. They're, two of their offensive linemen have been hurt. Abanakanda's hurt. Um, several of their defensive linemen have missed time, but there's they're deep in experience there. So like um, Kalijah Cansey is the number one graded defensive player um, in the ACC at defensive tackle. I, I, I don't like that matchup for Virginia Tech's interior offensive line. Um, you know, I think he has 21 quarterback pressures, which is up there in the, in the entire country. So it's, this just feels like a bad matchup all the way around for Virginia Tech. A, a defense, they haven't played as well as, you know, pit defenses of the past, but they also played you know, Tennessee, who's one of the best teams in the country. They played West Virginia, um, who's, you know, we talked about their offense being being legit. Um, they Slovis himself missed a game and a half. So, so the one game they went on the road to Western Michigan, they just they ran the ball 52 times and um, threw the ball only 12 times for that game. They just decided, I guess, to pound them into the ground and be done with that game as much as possible, get out of Kalamazoo as quick as they can. Um, so I, th- I just think it's a terrible matchup for this Virginia Tech team. It feels like the other times when Virginia Tech went to Pittsburgh and got smoked. Um, 2018, 52-22. Um, was that 2020 when they lost 47-14 up there? Um, like it's the same kind of thing. They're just experienced, big, physical football team. They run the ball, and they're going to wear down Virginia Tech's defense um, over four quarters to the point of what we saw in those games where Tech's defense is not not close to making plays. Um, so I think it's a big concern. You know, losing Addison is. They would be a they would be a level better if they had Addison, but they got a couple good wide receivers that'll be fine. Um, passing game is not going to obliterate Virginia Tech like 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 it seemed Drake May would and bid last week, um, but it's good enough. You know, like we've been talking about, you're talking like on a good day, Virginia Tech plays twice as twice as good on offense what they're scoring 24 points um i st- i still think this pittsburgh team is good enough to to beat virginia tech even if even if tech plays their best game all- offensively of the year um and, and then you throw in the history of pitt and like it just doesn't seem like tech has a chance here i wish to provide you know some well-roundedness to this podcast but i mean it seems pretty cut and dry here and you'll see that in in the preview tomorrow it's just you know i i know there are some penalty concerns with Pitt, and maybe that's the one area you look at that's bad but like other than that i mean you know i'm 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 reaching here 
Um, they just seem like the more physical team, um, just more imposing on on both sides of the ball. And it seems like the pit game every year is kind of like, what is Virginia Tech made of? Like every year, it's like the measuring stick, the barometer. And I just feel the same way. Like they're going to slowly get outclassed. I don't think it's going to be like, you know, how we saw West Virginia and UNC just, you know, quickly accelerate their lead. But over time, like I I think the scoreboard could look close by the end, but I think it's going to be pretty, um, it's going to be pretty one-sided in terms of who has the momentum in this game. And I, I just think Pitt is just the better team. And it would just be hilarious, like, the going into West Virginia and going into UNC, like, I'm not going to say I expected Virginia Tech to win, but I could see the avenues where they could take advantage of bad defenses. And it's like, whichever way you spin it with Pittsburgh, it's like, there's an advantage to Pitt. And it would just be hilarious if this is the game, like the shock, shock you game where Virginia Tech just comes out and, you know, I mean, they're not unbeatable. Georgia Tech beat them last week after a bye week. Like, you know, there is a way. It's just it's tough to see right now based on what we've seen the last two weeks. Okay, so I'll kind of flip the script there. Let's assume we're all correct. Let's assume that this is a game that Virginia Tech is doomed to lose. I'm not one for moral victories, but this seems to be the kind of season, and especially, if you will, the season within a season, where moral victories are going to have to be found. So, tell me what you need to see in this game against Pitt, whether it be from a position group, uh, individuals, where you know, we talk about Miami as the most vulnerable team of this little stretch. What could happen in the Virginia Tech logs that makes you feel more confident going into this big home game against Miami where, which like Doug said, a lot of a lot of potential future Hokies uh, will be in attendance for. Uh, would make you feel more confident for them? Uh, for, I think first it would have to start with the offensive line if they've finally taken a step or two forward on, on the ground, especially. Um, I think it's unlikely. Uh, can see in the middle is a beast. Um, I'm not even try his first name. Habakuk. I just tried it. Um, Baldonado is is a really good defensive end. Uh, John Morgan the third. Like they're they're good on the defensive line, and I think if Tech puts together their best rushing game of the year against this group, that's encouraging going forward. That they're starting to figure some things out. You know, I and I, I think the rest of it is. Um, not necessarily position groups, but definitely individuals. And this could apply to this week or any week after as you're looking to see young players um, start to flash. Uh, we saw it last week with Daquan Wright, Mansoor Delane, um, Cam, jo- Cam Johnson even a little bit. I think he should still keep his red shirt on, probably just play four games and sit him down. But, um, you know, Jaden Keller is now playing a lot of snaps. He was over 40 snaps for the first time against against North Carolina. Um, CJ McCray and Cole Nelson played more snaps than Ty Garbett and Jalen Griffin did against North Carolina. Some of that's probably related to the score. But like those are the developments that like <laughs> you pay a lot of attention to over the last seven weeks. You know, Tech might go four and eight, Tech might go five and seven, Tech might go three and nine. Um 
but we, you know we've talked over and over again about like the need to develop the next core develop the 2023 and 2024 core that's going to make up you know the the big time contributors that are going to be the next Dax Hollyfield, the next Jamari Connor, the next Caleb Smith, Nick Gallo. Those guys like that's really what I'm watching for the next seven weeks, including this week, and would give me more confidence heading into Miami. Was if if Christian Moss and Lofton continue, or in Moss's case, continue to take step forward, I think they should play him more. Lofton's got to pick it up um, quickly. Um, but you know it's all about the young players and, and the offensive line for me. If if those if the if the offensive line can improve a little bit, particularly that right side would be huge to get Cade Moore and Parker Clemens back on the right track. Um, and then you're looking at individual development um, throughout the depth chart. I, I think those are the two two areas that I'm watching. I got one for each side and. To be honest, there's a lot of moral victories to be had in this game. Like, there's you know, all over the offense. I mean, you want to see improvement from everyone, but, you know, this is the first week of the season. We're seeing Malachi Thomas on the death chart listed as number four. I don't think Brent Pry would, you know, even Dor- even though Dorian Strong is listed there and we may not see him play, I don't think he would put Malachi Thomas if he wasn't going to play in some capacity. Um, and so if he can show, you know, any, it's a, it's a tough task with how the offensive line has been playing, but if he can show anything that he showed in, you know, his freshman year when he had, you know, had those big performances, I'm not saying like go for a hundred plus yards and, uh, you know, a touchdown against this pit defense, but if he can start to show that, you know, he's head and shoulders above, you know, the rest of the guys in the room. Um, and has the ability to be a solidified number one guy, uh, you know, even if it's on a, a limited basis, I think that's a start, you know, looking at someone on the offense that you can trust uh, and, and build something upon. Uh, defensively, uh, Doug kind of mentioned it, but I mean, the Will linebacker spot is every single week, the depth chart is like flip-flopped. So like it, it almost like it was Kelly Lawson for a while. Now it's Jaden Keller this week. I want to see Jaden Keller, and I know, Andrew, you brought it up quite a bit. Like, in the offseason, this was a guy, and by the last staff, it was a guy that, you know, had really, drew really um, high praise. And, you know, to to see him perform against a really physical Pittsburgh team, like, I think this is, you know, an opportunity for him to finally solidify that spot, which is seemingly you know, been a revolving door for three guys uh, to kind of claim it. I think this is his opportunity, and that would be uh, a good moral victory there for the defense. You know, an encouraging performance from Grant Wells, I think, is A1 for me right now. But whether it be the offensive line, whether it be consistency from any one wide receiver who I don't think, you know, with the exception of maybe Caleb Smith, who's been riddled with injury issues, there's no clear number one and number two. It's kind of been like, oh, in this game, they performed poorly, but so-and-so showed up. But in this game, so-and-so showed up. So, so there's a bunch of guys capable of catching the ball, which is great. I figure out where rhythm can be built and take that and run with it. And if it's the young guys, especially if it's the young guys, then then cue in on them. But it's score prediction time. I had this one being... 
a higher score for Virginia Tech. Not expecting 30-plus points here. I'm going 27 to 14, two touchdowns. Um, like I said earlier, I think the scoreboard looks close, 13 points. You know, after how the last two weeks have gone, looks closer. But I think it's going to be um, pretty one-sided for for Pittsburgh. Just scoring is going to be down a touch. I'm going 33-13, Pittsburgh. Um, yeah, I mean we've 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 covered it. Uh, I think I think it's a bad matchup for Virginia Tech. It feels, you know, I it kind of felt like. One of one of the thoughts in my mind against West Virginia and North Carolina was that for West Virginia they were on year three of the Neil Brown era. Mac Brown, I think he's on year four now, and Brent Prize in year one. Um, there's definitely a different level of depth and and consistently and experience in the programs. Now we're now our doozies on year seven or eight, um, and the depth chart definitely looks like that. Um, you know. That's that's how I think that's how a program like Pittsburgh, like at for at Pittsburgh's level, at Virginia Tech's level, you know, that middle tier of college football. Um, that's the prototypical player development program. Justin Fuente, when he started talking about how he wants to be the best player development program in the country in year five or six of his tenure. Um, Narduzzi's been pretty good. At that aspect of it, and, and turning, you know, not highly re- recruited guys into into really experienced, really strong players. So I think that's the big difference here. Is like Pittsburgh's program is just at a completely different development level right now than Virginia Tech's, and I think that's going to show on the field. Yeah, I'm going 26 to 10. I'll throw the defense a bone. Uh, I think there could be a little bit of a comeback game. West Virginia had a high-flying offense. Virginia Tech effectively held them to 28. Uh, I think North Carolina is on a bit higher of a level. But ultimately, I don't think it matters in the end. Uh, you know, Pittsburgh defensively is... Uh, and tell me if you disagree with this. Far and away the best defense Virginia Tech would have faced all year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> They haven't, faced many, they, they haven't faced many good defenses. They have not. Um, they, have not they have not performed. So no, no we didn't. Yeah, not here to beat a dead horse. But that's wait until they play NC State in a couple weeks. That's what I think Oof. will happen. I think that uh, spreads like fourteen and a half. So between our couple different predictions, we'd be on different ends of that. But I thought I thought it started. At, I I know it's at fourteen and a half now, but it started at like nine. Like it's it's risen up there, so I don't know what they know in Vegas, but uh, maybe they're just not as high on Virginia Tech anymore. That would be shocking. <laughs> yes, <laughs> the shine of I feel like throughout the Fuente years, but there was just, many many seasons where Virginia Tech would get a lot of like name brand points. I don't think they're getting those name brand points. This I, I think someone was like, "Oh, it's Virginia Tech Pitt, like nine points," and then the executives got involved, made a few calls. The intern was fired, and they changed it to 14 and a half. I talked to my financial advisor, and I said, throw, throw everything. Pittsburgh, <laughs> minus nine and a half. Put the mortgage on Throw the house. <laughs> All right. We don't have that much screw around time because we've been going for so long here, but I do have a fun one. All right. 
totally putting these guys on the spot. So take it as you will. I want your flash ACC Coastal Power Rankings, one through seven. Okay. Um, Duke. Duke, Carolina. Pitt. Uh, Miami. We got, we got Miami, Georgia Tech, Virginia Tech, UVA. Okay, I went with... Uh, that Duke is brutal. <laughs> I went with Duke, Pitt, North Carolina, Miami. Large gap, Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech, UVA. I put Georgia Tech above Virginia Tech right now. It pains me to say it because they literally don't have, they don't a have a coach or an athletic director. They don't have direction right now. So the interim coach is like fun. it's like the inmates running the asylum kind of deal. It's kind of sick, and they won. They are on a one-game winning streak, so I guess you have to put them ahead of Virginia Tech, Tech and an ACC UVA. Win too. Yeah, who does? Virginia Tech has an ACC win. People forget yeah. that. People do forget that. All right. Uh, Kansas now Big ranked one. number 19. College game day in Lawrence. Yes. Game day heading to Lawrence. Two straight sellouts. Uh, undefeated. TCU coming in. Also uh, very good. Can Kansas keep the undefeated season alive, number one? And number two, uh, will Coach Lance Leipold, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, be the head coach of the Wisconsin Badgers next year? I'm going to say no, um, and we were kind of talking about this in our group chat uh, with Jim Leonard, uh, the prodigy son of Wisconsin. Andrew and I are both like, we were both Wisconsin fans like from way back in the day, and if you know anything about Wisconsin, it's that it never changes. Like, it, it Brett Bielema, <laughs> who ironically was the one... Um, to fire Paul Christ uh, by blowing them out. It was the same exact blueprint as Paul Christ. Um, so I think you get a guy like Jim Leonard, who if you're going to bring in a new coach, you're probably going to lose one of the top defensive coordinators, or you just promote a guy that, you know, bleeds, bleeds Wisconsin is going to get like the younger generation involved. Uh, and keep the same structure. Like, it's literally just power eye, great defense, have a wide receiver that can uh, take a couple play-action passes, and, you know, that's the recipe for success. Um, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't know if they make a big splash hire. I think they should. Yeah, it's going to be Leonard. There's, I mean, he's probably going to go 5-2 down the stretch. The next four games are Northwestern, who's awful. Michigan State, who is pretty awful. Purdue might be tough. That's at home, at least. And then Maryland's still Maryland. He doesn't have to perform that well to get enough excitement going to, to you know, to make it, make it the only move you can make is to return or retain him, because um, that's that's why you made that move, I think. Here's what I'll say: Paul Christ is a. Uh... Almost an A1 example of the what-have-you-done-for-me-lately nature of college football. I mean, people were hanging on to one 10-win season for Justin Fuente. Paul Chris started one year prior to Justin Fuente and had four 10-win seasons in five years, with the one-off year being a nine-win season. Uh, the lowest was eight wins. 
all in the Big Ten, of course. And bad start to the season. You get the boot. You you lose to Illinois thirty four ten. You're probably you're getting the boot. You're getting the boot. Yeah, you're getting the boot. But uh, yeah. I I generally tend to agree with you guys that uh, the brand of Wisconsin football does not need to be compromised, despite the fact that uh, many in my family are getting sick of it, who are <laughs> alumni of that university. But it's one of those things in college football. This is this is true with Paul Johnson. Could always be worse. Could always be worse. Didn't we talk about how Wisconsin offensive linemen? There's it's one of our earlier podcasts where we talk about if they're hitting the portal, a little poachery. Yeah, a little poachery here. This could be and the now best it thing that's happened to Virginia Tech all year so far. Who knows? It's, this is, this could Mount be farm boys from Wisconsin, six seven, can run block um, under their former coach uh, at Virginia Tech. In the mountains. I mean, what's better? Like, I feel like if you're coming, if you're coming from most college towns, there's probably an adjustment to Blacksburg. Um, but if you're a Wisconsin farm boy offensive lineman coming to Virginia Tech, I feel like you know the culture shock isn't too much. I mean, they were they recruit those guys by this just going out into the forest and seeing which young men are chopping down those trees or lifting cows or lifting cows. Yes, and from there. You know, it's a match made in heaven. So. Does Does Wisconsin have future Virginia Tech starting quarterback Graham Mertz? Please, no. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> he is, he literally is Grant Wells, maybe seems, at a slightly higher level. <laughs> seems like a guy who's going to be on his way out after this year. Former offensive coordinators in Blacksburg. Just Logan right. Brown. I would love Logan Brown. Five star <laughs> offensive lineman. <laughs> not Mertz. Mertz can um, stay. Mertz can stay. Nebraska. <laughs> Despite the turbulent start. Are they turning things around? Against my home state team. Greg Giano and the Scarlet Knights of Rutgers. What do you Lincoln. think? Oh, that's at Rutgers? Piscataway? Oh. <laughs> I don't know. Birthplace of college football. <laughs> uh, I don't know. The Scarlet Knights will get after you. I like Shiano. Coming off a two-touchdown win, though, over over Indiana. This one's going to be tough for Nebraska. Could Nebraska make a bowl? Who's more likely to make a bowl? Nebraska oh boy. or Virginia Tech? <laughs> Probably Nebraska. Probably Nebraska. No, oh, that's wild to uh, me. Eh, the schedule in November is not good. They got uh, to do a lot of work here in, in in October. Well, that's Friday night, so I'm gonna have to go to the bar and say I need the Mets Padres on one TV and <laughs> Nebraska Rutgers Fox Sports One on the other. I'm trying to see what else might be intriguing here. Middle Tennessee State, right? Oh, yeah, Middle Tennessee State, UAB, uh, the Blue Raiders. Who coaches the Blue Raiders? Rick Stockstill. <laughs> I just want to get his name <laughs> in the podcast for the fourth straight week. That's why I asked this. All hail Lord Stockstill. Uh, oh, here's my last question. Is JMU the best college football team in Virginia? If they played like a little round-robin tournament, would they win? I think you have to say, yeah. At this point, 
really I I mean, Old Old Dominion almost beat, they beat Virginia Tech. They almost beat Virginia. It's it's, the the best team in Virginia is either JMU or Old Dominion. I'm confident in that answer. So the true Commonwealth Cup comes up in uh, mid-November, November 12th. In Norfolk, when Old Dominion plays JMU, uh, ESPN Football Power Index currently gives JMU a seventy-two point seven percent chance to win that game. So, should they play for like a smaller version of the Commonwealth Cup, or should we give them the big one? Honestly, Commonwealth Crown. It's true. It's the Dukes versus the Monarchs. Come on, it's big time. When I, when I, when you, I, should, you should work for the uh, you know the Sunbelt Conference marketing <laughs> department. As, as flattered as I am with that, um, <laughs> replace the guy that came up with the uh, the civil, the civil conflict. conflict. <laughs> I was going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Which congrats to UConn on their first first big win of the first FBS win in a Who long time. UMass, uh, Fresno State, I think. Really. The Oakland Raiders. Did I just right make there. that up? No, they beat Fresno State nineteen yeah. to fourteen. Yeah, they lost the other three, three games by thirty or fifty nine, and then come out and beat Fresno State. Okay, last last question: the Duke beats UVA. Do we rank Duke? So they'd be five and one with a loss against undefeated Kansas. Yeah, yeah, I think you have to. Where are they right now? Are they receiving votes of some sort? Quick status report on that. Got to be close. If not, that's biased. They received one vote in the coaches poll. Probably see who that. No votes in the AP poll. What are we doing here? To be fair, James Madison is effectively ranked 29th in the AP poll. So to go back to your previous question, yes, they're the best <laughs> team in the Commonwealth. <laughs> are they going to lose? We have the Commonwealth Cup. Winner plays Duke. There we go. Are they going to lose this year? They, all, they were down to Appalachian State twenty-eight to three, and ended up coming back to win that game. Uh, they, play, um, they play Louisville in November. That that might trip them up. Louisville's pretty I don't, bad I don't this think year. So. <laughs> I do not think so. That's another Commonwealth for them to go in to Commonwealth of Kentucky. Duke we'll getting facts uh, for you. <laughs> First of all, excuse me, Duke already beat UVA. Duke has to beat Georgia Tech, and they're only three and a half point favorites on the road. So apparently, they believe the <laughs> kudos to Matei and I for paying attention and realizing that that game happened last week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. It's because we've been going for too long. It's like our longest podcast in like a year, and it was just a. Starrow Fest. So, what happens I mean, if Georgia Tech beats Duke and they have two coastal wins? Are they in position? Are they going to Charlotte? Then we're starting to look at potential Nebraska-Georgia uh, Tech bowl games. And the Tax Slayer Bowl or something of the sort. Bad Boy Mowers Tax Slayer Bowl. Could get interest in there. Okay, no one's listening anymore. We're done. <laughs> Andrew, Alex, Matejas, Doug Bowman, BT Scoot, twenty four seven Sports. Um, so pay us. Yeah, do the VIP thing, so you can get the scoop. 
the real scoop, Tim Thomas. You can't get the scoop anymore if you're insulting <laughs> us online. Okay. <laughs> That's it. You're cut off. I love you, Timmy, but you can't come at us like that. Uh, but yeah, do that. Uh, Evan Watkins will be back eventually. He's just a good dad. So give him credit. He spends all day on the website anyway. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> it's going to do it for us. We'll so talk to you I. next week. So. Hopefully, <laughs> those silver linings we talked about can be uh, expounded upon. Until then, my friends, go Hokies. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Gather your besties. We are very exclusive. And get ready. Mom, go make snacks. For sure, Regina. Yeah. For the movie that hits like a bus in a good way. No one died. Mean Girls. Made at PG 13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. You deserve the truth. The enemy is at our gates. The fight for humanity. I look at your faces. I do not see defeat. No! And I do not see surrender. It's far from over. You will not make that stand alone. We have something the enemy does not. We have heroes. Halo. New season now streaming. Exclusively on Paramount+. Plus.